Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Live from Liverpool, the Dark Paranormal, Season 4. Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Dark Paranormal. Halloween is just around the corner, and everyone all over the world gets in the spirit of spirits. However, for me... And I guess for you guys, Halloween is every day to us. We don't need a time of year to look into the world of spirits and the macabre. But as a paranormal fan, it is a great time of year. As podcasters everywhere release Halloween special episodes, TV programs fill the screens and radio shows fill your ears. Yes, for fans of paranormal content, Halloween truly is a boom period. And for that, I want to wish you all a happy Halloween. And I hope you're terrified and fulfilled in equal measure. Today is the first half of a two-part podcast. Not necessarily because it's a large story, but more the key points within the story need to be mentioned. Indeed, the key parts of this particular story are so harrowing that I would be cheating both you and I if I left them out and condensed them into one episode. But don't worry, each episode still contains more fear and terror than usual. And I, for one, am keen to begin. But before I do so, as always, I need to say thank you to those people who support this independent podcast. By going over and joining our Patreon community, not only do you support the show, you also receive these episodes before anyone else. And you get an extra episode for Patreons only each and every week, even on the downtime between seasons. Head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal or see the link in the show notes. So for this week, I'd like to say a big thank you to Emma Jane Ewing, Nadine, Jack Netherton, Rashard Callahan, Andrea, V, Nancy Wick, Alexandra Sumchak, and Hannah Mila. Thank you so much, guys. It truly keeps the show going. So if you'd like to join the Dark Paranormal Patreon community over there, head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal. Now, let's prepare you for what's coming. Lower the lights. Get yourself comfy. Leave your disbelief at the door. And join me as we take a look at a home that allegedly 
houses more than 200 demons. This is part one of the Demon House. Every one of us who was there that day in the basement and who saw what we saw, who went through what we went through after, we all think the same. We all call it the same. That bit of dirt is a portal to hell. The words of Charles Austin, 62, Gary Indiana's police captain and a law enforcement officer of over 30 years' experience. This isn't your typical friend-of-a-friend ghost story. This is one of the most documented paranormal experiences on record. Over 800 pages of official police reports, filings by the Department of Child Services, of medical professionals, all of which detail things which shouldn't be. In these documents, the address is listed as 3860 Carolina Street, Gary, Indiana. However, thanks to media, you will know it by its more famous name, Demon House. November 2011, and Latoya Ammons walks into the house of her living room in her new Carolina Street house. She drops her bags and gives a big smile. This is it, children, she says, taking a deep breath before releasing it and closing her eyes. This is where we start living. Filing into the room behind her, her three children, two sons, aged seven and nine, and her daughter, aged twelve. They look around the room cautiously. Behind them, and carrying the remaining bags, enters Rosa Campbell, Latoya's mother. She joins Latoya in smiling as she too drops her bags and takes the space in. Pretty as a picture, honey, says Rosa, rubbing Latoya's arm. Go pick a room. You boys are sharing, so bear that in mind, shouts Latoya to the children who are already running down the hall. The usual bedlam ensued of children let loose inside a new home as each tries to claim their territory. But this sound was music to Latoya's ears. It was the bustle of a family. A family she knew were taking steps towards a brighter future. The first few weeks started as well as they could hope. New friends were made. Neighbours were welcoming. One afternoon, Latoya was making lunch in the kitchen when... A noise from the hallway caught her attention. She placed down the kitchen knife and slowly walked through the living room into the hall. Damn flies this time of year, shouted Rosa, as she relentlessly whacked away at what seemed like a pretty substantial swarm by the porch door. Latoya grabbed a magazine and rolled it up, joining her mother in killing the pests. When the issue was dealt with, both women went to the kitchen to make a coffee and calm down. Rosa thumbed the rim of her coffee mug, something clearly weighing on her mind. Honey, she began, I need to ask you, are you sleeping okay? Latoya was taken aback, not only because she was, but also she couldn't think what had led to the idea she wasn't. She was genuinely happy, happy for the first time in quite a while. I sure am, Mum, she said with a confused face. 
Why? Oh, that's good, honey, said Rosa. It's just, I hear you shuffling round down here through the night sometimes, that's all. I just wanted to check. Now, although Latoya often took to bed an hour or so after her mother, her journey was from Seti to bed. There was no shuffling around, and certainly not what you'd call through the night. No, I'm good, Mum, reconfirmed Latoya with a forced smile. That night, as usual, Latoya went to bed an hour or so after her mother. She checked the clock, 11.30pm, and, with today's conversation on her mind, made a distinct effort not to make much noise on her way to bed. Tonight, ironically, Latoya struggled to get to sleep. Her mind was racing too much. She checked the clock again, 1.45am. Still no sign of the slightest yawn. The anxiety of how bad she would feel in the morning with no sleep compounded her inability to sleep. She tried tensing all of her muscles and letting go with a deep breath. She could clearly hear footsteps underneath her. She couldn't make out exactly where they were coming from. She sat up in bed and listened. The footsteps now began, very slowly, climbing the wooden stairs, and instantly she knew they were the stairs that headed up from the basement to the kitchen. Maybe it's Mum or one of the kids, she thought, as she swung her legs out of bed and into her slippers, grabbing a dressing gown and creeping out of her room. (gasps) You scared the life out of me, whispered Latoya to Rosa, who was already standing in her bedroom doorframe. Rosa put her fingers to her lips. Shh, I thought that was you, she whispered back, pointing down the hall. The side of the wooden door which led from the basement to the kitchen was just visible from where they stood on the corner of the hall area. They instinctively held each other as they heard the handle of that door slowly begin to turn. And then, with the stiff jolt it was known to open with, the door opened a few millimetres. And then... Nothing. Latoya and her mother felt like they stood still and silent for an hour staring at the slightly ajar door, waiting for what was next. Rosa made the sign of the cross and walked down towards the kitchen area, much to Latoya's disapproval. She turned on every light as she walked past, which, in truth, made Latoya feel more comfortable about the whole situation. So she walked down to meet her mother. It's probably just a gust of wind, said Latoya. Rosa gave her the briefest of glares over the top of her glasses, and then said, Are you trying to convince me, or you? Rosa walked over and shut the door tight. Something's not right with that, she whispered, wagging her finger at Latoya, before turning round and taking herself back to bed. The next morning, Latoya and her mother walked slowly up Carolina Street, laden with that week's groceries. So, are we going to talk about last night? asked Rosa as they got to the bottom of the garden. Latoya rolled her eyes at her mother and turned to head up the path. She stopped in her tracks. Do we have a blind on that porch door? No, I don't recall seeing one, replied Rosa, as both women stared intently at the jet-black door windows, 
and creeped inquisitively forwards. I don't believe it. Rosa made the sign of the cross as it became clear that the black windows were caused by hundreds upon hundreds of houseflies swarming around the frame. Latoya quickly pulled her scarf across her mouth and opened the door, and the flies poured out in a cloud. Latoya and her mother spent the next hour getting rid of any stragglers in the doorway. I've no idea where they're coming from. There's not a single one in any other room of the house, cried Latoya. Honey, we need to get someone in this house to bless it or something, replied Rosa, shaking her head. Latoya wasn't a big believer in that side of things, and was about to tell her mother so when the house phone rang. Hello? The person on the other end of the line informed Latoya that a good friend of the family had died, someone close to both her and her mother. This news devastated the pair of them, and any thoughts of strange goings-on immediately dissipated. That night, Latoya once again couldn't sleep. The footsteps, the flies, the passing of her friend, all swelling around her head and fighting for her attention. She decided maybe a hot milky drink would help calm her mind, and so she put on her dressing gown and walked out to the hall. She froze just inches from her door, as straight down the hall in the living room was the clear outline of a man. No ifs or buts. This was a solid, bona fide man. Walking across the centre of the living room, starting from the left and then moving out of the line of sight to the right. Latoya's breath caught in her chest. It must be an intruder. Think, Latoya, think. The mind does crazy things in situations like these. And without being too aware, Latoya began slowly creeping down the hall, trying to get a better look at the right part of the living room where the figure had headed towards. The room revealed itself to her with each inch she moved forward. The spaces the man could have been became less and less, until Latoya found herself stood at the cusp of the living room, able to see the full panorama, and able to see the man had disappeared into thin air. Something caught her eye, glistening in the moonlight that came through a crack in the curtains. She walked over, and to her terror, found wet footprints of someone's bare feet, walking in a line from wall to wall, and then stopping. Latoya pulled back the curtain and checked outside. The streets were dry. It hadn't rained in days. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. The following evening, Rosa had arranged a memorial drink for a small group of dear friends of the recently deceased man. He's in a better place, and that place is better for having him, she said, raising her glass from her seat at the kitchen table. The people gathered all agreed and raised their glasses to meet hers. Latoya headed off to the bathroom, and Rosa used the opportunity to refresh people's glasses. Right, who needs a top-up? Mum, mum! came Latoya's shrill voice. It was coming from her mother's bedroom. Latoya's daughter was sleeping in there with a friend that night as it was the weekend. Rosa, 
and one or two concerned members of the party ran down the hallway and burst into the bedroom. A collective gasp filled the room, as there, eyes closed as if sleeping, levitating three feet off the bed, was Latoya's twelve-year-old daughter. Rosa and some of her like-minded friends instantly began praying. Meanwhile, Latoya held tightly to her daughter's friend, who was comatose with shock with what was transpiring. Slowly, the girl began gracefully lowering back to the bed, landing as if placed with care. She opened up her eyes. What are you all doing in my room? Why are you all round the bed? Enough was enough for Rosa and Latoya, and they decided to seek guidance from their church. However, despite what modern stories may have you believe, the church is often reticent to assist, or even acknowledge, the existence of such matters. And sadly, this was the case. They went from church to church before anyone was willing to listen to the full story. Finally, a kindly old pastor heard them out. After hearing their full tale of woe, he advised that their house seemed to be full of malevolent spirits, and they should scrub each doorway and entrance point with ammonia and bleach, and to use olive oil to mark a cross on each door and window. In addition, he stated as there were youngsters in the home and evil preys on the young, Latoya should use the same oil on the hands and feet of the children and end by making the sign of the cross on their foreheads. Armed with this new knowledge, Rosa and Latoya set about the tasks they'd been given. All seemed well for a few hours. However, that evening, the noise came from the daughter's room the slap had been loud enough to be heard from both women's bedrooms. As they entered the daughter's room, she was stood in the corner, holding her cheek and hyperventilating. Something's just hit me, something just hit me, she repeated over and over again. The next morning, Latoya poured Rosa some coffee. Church isn't helping us, Mum. Rosa reluctantly nodded at her cup. I know some people with a gift, clairvoyance. I'm going to ask them to come over. Normally, Rosa would be against such things, but given recent events, she just nodded again as she stirred her coffee. That afternoon, two mediums arrived, a middle-aged man and an older-looking woman. They asked to walk around the property alone, which Latoya was happy for them to do, of course. After a full hour, mainly consisting, from Latoya's perspective at least, of standing, eyes closed in the centre of each room, the two mediums asked Latoya and Rosa to sit with them. They seemed unsure of how to begin. So, we've been speaking with each other, and I don't say this lightly, but the best thing all round would be for you to move house. What? Latoya had got these people in to help out, to give reasons and suggest solutions, not to say her best bet was to run away. Plus, they'd just moved house, and moving house isn't free. This move came at the cost of much debt. Moving wasn't an option, and Latoya explained so. Latoya, continued the man, this place, the basement especially, well, it must be a portal. There are so many evil spirits here. 
Demons! Rosa gripped Latoya's hand. How many demons? Rosa quickly asked. The two mediums looked at each other. The elderly medium spoke. Well, we stopped counting around 200. Both Latoya and her mother's jaws fell open. The male medium continued. See, that's just it. This place doesn't need a house cleansing. It needs demolishing. Latoya was getting frustrated now. Her patience thinned. She hastily shown the two mediums to the door. The elderly lady noticed Latoya's frustration and hung back from her partner. I see you're not happy with what we've said. So, this may not work, but it's a shot in the dark. Make an altar in the basement. A clean white cloth over it. If you've got a statue of Jesus or a saint, place it on it. Wear white. Keep your shoulders and hair covered. You need to get some sage. Make crosses with the smoke. Have your mother read the 91st Psalm as you go around. It might help, darling. She finished by patting her hand and walking off to the car. Although Latoya wasn't confident Rosa would be keen to join in with such rituals, the strong Christian theme seemed to convince her mother that this was on the border of acceptability. And so, altar prepped with a statue of Jesus, Mary and Joseph, Latoya lit the sage and travelled from room to room wafting the sign of the cross. Rosa walked behind her, reading aloud from her Bible. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. For three days peace fell on the Ammon's home, and then, one evening, all hell broke loose. Latoya ran to where the noise came from and found her daughter walking out of the room, blood pouring from her head. Inside the room, her headboard was broken on the floor. The daughter claimed the headboard had pulled itself out of the frame and flew into her face, leaving a wound so deep she required stitches. But even this would pale in comparison to what happened next. Rosa was cleaning the hallway and heard the mumbling voice of her seven-year-old grandson from his bedroom. Peeking in, he was nowhere to be seen. However, she noticed the speech was coming from the wardrobe. The boy was having a full-blown conversation with someone. The topic, she just about made out, was what it was like to be dead. Rosa flung open the wardrobe door, and her grandson had his back to her. He didn't flinch or turn around at the movement of the door. Rosa called him. He didn't move. She called him again. Still, nothing. She reached and touched his shoulder. His head spun round and Rosa fell back. She was staring into the eyes of evil. Her grandson's face was not his own. His eyes were bulging out of their sockets. His mouth was spread in an unnaturally wide, crooked smile. Saliva pooled and dripped from his lip. Rosa. He barked in a voice not his own. Soon, each of the children at one point or another seemed to be possessed in a similar way. The daughter, midway through her cereal one morning, dropped her spoon into the bowl and began to growl. 
Her eyes began to protrude and a grin began to form as she locked eyes on her mother. Latoya ran into the hallway and began to pray. The growling seemed to stop, so Latoya peeked back into the kitchen, only to find her daughter happily continuing with her breakfast. Then there was poltergeist activity. Smaller objects would be thrown through the air, mainly at people's heads, whilst larger objects such as the settee would be moved overnight, tipped or moved into other rooms. Things would get so bad that on occasions they would have to spend the night in a hotel. Collectively, the family was broken. They needed help. The spiritual side seemingly had done nothing but antagonize the situation, so maybe they needed to look elsewhere. And so, Latoya booked the family in for a group appointment with Dr. Oniyukwu, their family physician. For the doctor, this would be one of the most unsettling appointments of his career. Latoya began her story with the flies, moving through each occurrence by date. The doctor hastily scribbled notes and largely wondered, aside from potential mental health issues, exactly what he was meant to diagnose. Latoya continued. However, in the back of the room, there began a low growl. No one paid attention to it at first. However, it grew until it was noticed. Everyone fell silent and turned their attention to the source of the noise. The seven-year-old boy at the back. The seven-year-old boy with bulging eyes and a crooked grin. The boy's smile dropped and there were seconds of silence. Then he burst into a string of obscenities towards the doctor, all in a voice far too gravelly for a seven-year-old child. His eyes were filled with rage and fury as he spat out each curse word. And then, as the boy's family, the doctor and his assistant all watched, the boy was lifted up by unseen hands and thrown into the opposite wall. An ambulance was called because the boy was unresponsive and the family made their way to hospital. At the hospital, the boy came round and immediately fell into a rage requiring five men to hold him down. Meanwhile, somewhere in the middle of all this, someone had anonymously contacted the Department for Child Services, claiming Latoya was suffering from mental health problems and was an unfit mother. A DCS caseworker, Valerie Washington, headed to the hospital to interview Latoya. However, she found her to be of sound mental state. Whilst there, she also interviewed the seven-year-old boy and his brother. Rosa joined the two boys, Valerie and a registered nurse, Lee, in the interview room. Valerie smiled. Okay, boys, I'd just like to ask a few questions if that's okay. The seven-year-old began to slowly growl. He turned to his brother, looked deep into his eyes and said in a low, guttural voice, It's time to die. I will kill you. At this, the elder brother's eyes began to bulge. A wide smile formed on his face and he ran at Rosa, headbutting her in the stomach and gnashing his teeth. Rosa grabbed the nine-year-old's hands and began saying the Lord's Prayer. At this, the boy's crooked grin returned and he began to walk backwards until he reached the wall. 
But then he carried on, up the wall, to the ceiling, keeping his eyes fixed on his grandmother, saliva dropping down from his upside-down lips to the floor. He then flipped and landed on his feet, silently glaring at Rosa. Valerie Washington was a professional, a Department of Child Services caseworker. She'd never seen anything like this before and was worried just how she would explain this in her findings. If she removed this supernatural act from her investigation and looked rationally at the case, the family was still experiencing mental and spiritual stress, and there were children involved, children suffering in this family dynamic. And so, Valerie made the only decision she could, and informed Latoya that, at least for now, the children were being taken into care. Latoya was broken. She never asked for any of this, for this evil plague to attack her and her family. Yet, here she was, her home infested, her children taken into care. She deemed an unsuitable mother. Yet, this is still only the first part of this story. Next week we will conclude the story of the Ammons family, of the Demon House, and we'll find out if Latoya gets her redemption, and if so, at what cost. The twists and turns that this story has already taken but is still to take are the stuff of supernatural legend, and next week not only will we conclude this story of Demon House, we will also take a look at why it has become so controversial. And, yes, there is an individual, if you don't know the story by now, who we've seen in a previous story, the Dybbuk Box. A certain Mr Bagans, the paranormal TV celebrity, shows up to add even more twists and turns into what is already a remarkable story. So, once more, thank you for choosing to spend your time here at The Dark Paranormal. Enjoy your Halloween, stay safe, and as you'll undoubtedly be sharing some spooky stories this Halloween season, always remember to leave your disbelief at the door. And I'll see you next week on The Dark Paranormal. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.